0: Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome
1: both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum.
0: Hey guys. I just want to let you know about an amazing company, an amazing product that we use in our home every day. The company is Balish Woodwork. It is owned by my friend, Kurt Ballish. He makes homemade woodworks and for my wife which you know I love and adore last Mother's Day I got her a homemade cutting board made by Kurt and is the only cutting board that we will use in our home so if you guys love homemade woodwork and you would love to make a piece maybe for your wife maybe a chess board maybe something special for your home Definitely check out BallishWoodworks.com. Tell them that Richard and Vertical Momentum sent you guys. Have an amazing day. Remember, Vertical Momentum, the only way to go is but up. Another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. Business. We're going to be talking about Uh, military we're going to be talking about leadership but first of all i want to thank our friend scott mcgregor for hopping on and i also want to personally thank his two children that are serving in the military we appreciate them and uh, i'm so grateful and honored that they love our country that much to be able to raise their hand how are you doing my brother i'm doing well i'm doing well thanks for having me richard i appreciate it oh man it's 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 fun to have you and it's going to be interesting because a lot of people don't really take the time to think about that when a soldier is deployed or in the military, that their family serves with them. And a lot of people don't realize that until they become a gold star family, God forbid. But I just want to thank you and your family for supporting um, your children that are serving this great country
1: i i appreciate it and it's a a humbling experience and you know although i did not serve you know having two boys who served and and having lots now lots and lots of friends um you know uh with military backgrounds it's just uh it's just amazing what uh
0: And we have a lot of friends in common. I think almost like 900 friends we have in common. And I think I don't think God makes mistakes, so I think he, he puts you in my life for a reason. So how's your day going? I think your phone locked, and it will mute you. Yep, yeah, but you got to make sure your phone doesn't lock, or else it'll mute us like that.
1: All right. Uh, not sure how we ensure that it does not lock. I don't know. I guess
0: like yeah, I got to keep on touching my phone every minute. All of... right. I'll just keep my finger on it. So, good. so tell us, how's your day going and what does your day look like?
1: So my days are crazy. Uh, I run two different businesses. I've got my fourth book uh, that's coming out in November. Uh so life is very, very, very busy to say the least. It's it's absolutely crazy, but I love it.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, a little bit about your background, what kind of little kid was Scott as a kid? Talk to him.
1: <laughs> so I grew up in a a shoreline town in Connecticut, uh Madison, Connecticut, uh, which is a pretty affluent town. Uh the reason why I think that's important is uh, my family was, we were like the poor people in town, so I didn't grow up with a lot, uh, but I was surrounded uh, by affluence, and it really shaped kind of who I was and, and how I leveled the playing field um, when I was young was through athletics, uh, and it really you know, it made me very competitive, so I think I was competitive for a number of different reasons. No, sports, um, but I always what sports play. I, I played football, uh, and you know, the program that uh, that we have in in my high school is the most prominent uh, program in the state. So, most state championships uh, in the state, and only team to ever be ranked in the top USA Today top twenty five. So it's a prolific program. So growing up, it's like, you know, to play uh, for Daniel Hand High School um, is a big deal. And, you know, we were fortunate to win a state championship all while I was playing. And I also played baseball uh, and actually went to uh, went to college initially on a on a D1 baseball scholarship.
0: Now, what college
1: did you go to? I went to the University of Hartford, uh, so I wanted to play d one baseball, but I wasn't you know good enough to probably play at a Miami or an Arizona or USC. So a good buddy of mine, uh, Jeff Bagwell was going to the University of Hartford, and he said, "You know, you got to check out this program that we're building." And I had another friend, Pat Hedge um and anyway so pat went on to play for the orioles and jeff went on to play for the astros and just got inducted into the hall of fame um so i decided to go to hartford uh wound up blowing out my back and they converted my scholarship to a academic scholarship and uh so i wound up staying there
0: so now you know because for some reason it's been a baseball kind of day (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I just got off talking to one of my friends, and we're, I interviewed him about the show, and he played uh, college baseball also. And then you know, there's a point that where it comes where you know that you're not going to be a professional athlete, and sometimes where the dreams go to die. Uh, and sometimes people give up, or sometimes people pivot. So what was your pivoting like when you knew that your career as a baseball player was over?
1: Um, you know what? I just threw all that made me successful as an athlete uh, into school and, and getting a job after school, uh, you know, and, and being successful. So I, I think just taking hard work, discipline, resiliency, uh, which I still think are kind of the three key components that we look for in employees, uh, you know, having those, um, you know, really allowed me to be successful when my baseball career ended. And I can tell you a funny story. This is uh, probably early on. I knew I wasn't going to be a, a pro baseball player. So uh, we had a scout from the Toronto Blue Jays at one of my games um, when I was in high school. And I had had a particularly good game that day. Uh, You know, so my dad was, you know, pretty, pretty proud and and talked to the scout afterwards and said, you know, hey, what did you think? Uh, And he said, you know what, you know, I, I don't really look at the stats. I don't really look at anything other than the first thing I think of is, can I see your son in my mind's eye? Can I see your son wearing a Toronto Blue Jays uniform? Um, So needless to say, the answer was no. Uh, So I burst my dad's bubble quite a bit and uh, and probably burst mine at the time, too. But, uh, you know, uh, I have a ton of friends that have played either professional football or professional baseball or, you know, been Olympians and stuff like that. And I, I just think those those people are on a totally different level.
0: Yeah, but now, you know, like you came from Connecticut, you know, where there's a lot of great parts and then there's some bad parts to Connecticut. Like, again, you state, but like you said, it, a lot of it's pretty affluent. But, you know, now you went to some of the greatest schools, Michigan, Cornell, um, you know, you Wharton School. But some people would say, oh, well, he had it made from the beginning to where a lot of, you know, I always say that hard work beats talent that doesn't work hard yep so you know talk to us about you know because like a lot of people in life now they have that um i want the participation trophy and there's the guys like you and i we want the big trophy so talk to us about that different mindset you know even though you came from a certain area and you were around uh, affluent people um tell us about that mindset that affluent people do have
1: Yeah. Um you know i just saw you know cuz i grew up poor but everybody around me had money and you know i saw how they valued uh education and relationships um and their work ethic uh and you know i just thought boy if i can if i can do those things i'm going to be successful and i kind of always knew probably through athletics first that i was willing to outwork other people um and because i you know growing up with that wealth around me i was just like okay athletics is what makes me feel like i'm an equal and so i was one of those kids that literally dawned to dusk you know i was out there by myself, practicing nonstop, whether it was football, baseball, or whatever, um, you know, and and that leveled the playing field. So, work ethic to me um, has always been the thing. I, I just have never seen anyone who's enjoyed sustained success, whether it was in sports uh, or you know, in the military or in corporate America. Uh, that hasn't done it with a good work ethic.
0: You know, and and I love that. Like, I was listening to my friend, Ed Milet, had um, the coach from uh, Clemson on, on Dave Osweeney. And he was talking about how, you know, when you never see a Lamborghini or a Bentley commercial on TV, and there's a reason, is because those people that own Bentleys and Lamborghinis are not sitting home watching
1: tv they're out there busting their ass and earning it you know what i mean very true very true yeah that's a great story ed is a is a phenomenal uh phenomenal guy and and, and Davo Sweeney has really built an insane program at, at clemson uh, and he gets the most out of everybody
0: now from what i've read and what i know about you is you're a big team guy and i believe you know like i'm a big i'm a big sports guy And um, I always go for the guy that is they're more worried about the name on the front of the jersey than the back of the jersey. You know, I was always a big uh, Cal Ripken guy, guy. you know, they're always about team first and then all the accolades will come later. So talk to us about uh, team being a team, you know, work within the team,
1: but also being a team leader. Team is everything. You know, it's super interesting. Um, so two nights ago, I was talking to Johnny Kim, who, you know, is a Navy SEAL, uh, then went to Harvard and, you know, got his, his, uh, his medical degree. And now he's an astronaut at NASA. So there's probably not a more accomplished guy uh, on the planet than Johnny Kim. And all he talked about, teamwork. Uh, All he talked about is working and doing the things that other people didn't want to do, taking the shifts that nobody else wants to take um, and always putting in that extra effort. Um, So it was interesting to hear from somebody who is so accomplished, uh, but have him really talk uh, almost nonstop about team, whether it was the Team that he was on, or the people that were in his rotation uh, when he was, you know, at Harvard um, getting his doctorate, or, or even now what he's doing at NASA. So, you know, it, it's all team. I think we're all better together, and it's very, you know, you really don't see successful organizations that don't have a team mentality. So we have a a saying uh, in both, you know, something new, which is my talent strategy company and the talent champions council, which is a membership community, uh, that we built, um, that we talk about people over everything and that it's people that really fuel a company's growth, uh, and really determine whether a company will be successful or whether they'll fail. Uh, it's not their technology. It's not their process. Uh, It's always people over everything. So, you know, I've always known that probably again through sports first, uh, but realized very quickly uh, as I got into leadership positions very early in my 20s and I was a chief revenue officer uh, by 29, uh, I knew that building a team was by far the most important thing um, that I needed to do to be successful.
0: You know, and I love that. You know, I was in the military for over 23 years, and um, I always believed that if you take care of your team, you know, your team is going to take care of you. Now, you know, I watch, uh, you know, a lot of TV, um, especially like Deadliest Catch and stuff like that, because it's amazing how teamwork goes into it and how, you know, one of the captains said, you know, one person on deck that's a bad influence can ruin the whole, the whole crew. But I also think, you know, like I'm a, like I said, I'm a big sports guy and like when Tom Brady got to the Buccaneers, all of a sudden the whole, everything changed. The locker room changed the, um, the work ethics changed. So I think talk to us about that is how either somebody on your team can either help you rise above or can actually take you out?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the people that, uh, you know, make you better, the people that have high expectations. So Tom Brady has, you know, very high expectations. And, you know, so I've always gravitated towards those people and, and wanted to hire those people that didn't just want to, you know, hit a quota, they wanted to do special things and conversely, I, I think companies have to be very, very careful uh, about even people that overachieve if they don't have the right attitude. You know, one, you know, one bad apple can spoil the bunch. And I think you've got to be uh, very quick to make those decisions to get rid of those people that can be a cancer in an organization. Um, so, you know, figuring out uh, which is which is it is a bit science and a bit art. Um, but being able to do that is a game changer uh, in terms of trying to build a a, a really great organization. So you know, uh, surround yourself with great people, hire great people, uh, and those people that are not uh, not cut from that cloth. you need to move on as quickly as you possibly can.
0: Okay, then I have a, a question for you, especially, you know, you being from Connecticut. You know, sometimes a company like the New England Patriots, they'll hire somebody because of what they can be in the future. Um, and But sometimes they hold on to somebody too long. Say somebody like an Aaron Hernandez, you know, being, I guess he was from the Connecticut area, correct? Yep, yeah. And yeah, he exactly. had such a great talent. But we all knew he had underlying, you know, underlying problems. But you th- sometimes, when you have a a problem in your locker room, sometimes you need to cut that cancer out before it gets too late. Correct?
1: I think so. Um, you know, I, I do think, uh, and and the pressure in professional sports is similar to the pressure in you know corporations. In that, if you have somebody that can produce at a high level, uh, even though they're not a good person, um, it's very tempting to hang on to them. And that's why you see the Antonio Browns continue to get jobs, uh, in the NFL. And you, you know, you see people that are really not, not great, uh, great citizens, um, you know, still able to, uh, to get jobs, but, I you know, those are people that I do not want on my team. Um, you know, whether it's uh, the, the sports teams that I root for, or whether it's the, the teams that I built uh, myself or the companies that we work with to build their talent strategy. Um, I would say it's almost always a mistake and it comes and bites you in the ass.
0: Yeah, I love that. Now, like, I, I interviewed a gentleman, um, and he owns a an oil company, and he's projected to do hundred million this year. And I asked him, I said, "Well, you know, how do you choose your, you know, success?" And he says, "Well, we start with the end game before we even start the project." He, he's like, "We're we're ready to. We already have our end game figured out." And mm-hmm. a lot of people do not play the long game and the end game. They're just playing the short game. So talk to us about that, you know, especially in a game of business, you know, you have to play the long game. Like Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, because sometimes it takes a while to build up, like you said, your reputation and, and all that. And a lot of people are in it just for the quick hit. And then they're out of business in a couple of years. So talk to us about you know playing the long game.
1: You have to play the long game. You know when you look at anything, uh, when you look at your personal finances, when you look at your health, uh, when you look at your career, um, you have to play the long game in order to have sustained success. You know you don't get in shape overnight. Uh, you don't get into a good financial position overnight. Uh, you don't build a great career overnight, it takes time. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why when I decided to start my business six and a half years ago, I could have gone the route of raising, uh, you know, VC money and, you know, uh, constructing the the business for fast growth that way, I decided to bootstrap it because I didn't want those external pressures that would, in many cases, forces companies to to think short term. I wanted to always make investments, like I make investments now that may not pay off for a year, two years, three years, five years, could be 10 years, but I'm happy to make those investments because I'm very confident that they're gonna pay off. And I think when you either are a public company and you're kind of beholden to quarterly earnings reports or whether you're a VC-backed uh, startup, you know you've got these external pressures that make it very, very hard to play the long game. Um, but I think it's absolutely vital if you want to do things the right way. Um, you know, oftentimes you have to pump the brakes, and you've got to do what's right. Not, it may not be right today financially, but it will pay off in the long run. Uh, And I think because we live in a society that values instant gratification, um, it's very, very hard for people to do that. But I could say for myself, you know, I'm so glad that we bootstrap things because it put the pressure on us from day one. We had to make money like we didn't have VC money. Um, You know, to me, that's like artificial revenue. Um, it's not real revenue. So I, I never wanted that. So we had to make sure that our business model was very sound, that our go to market strategy was rock solid, because we had to make money from day one to stay in business. Um, and, you know, for me, it's it, it was just always the right way to do things. But it's kind of, I think, just my mentality with everything, with personal finances, with health, um, you know, you just chip away. I've got a good friend, Jesse Itzler, who talks about, you know, just chip away, just chip away. Um, And, you know, by doing that consistently day after day after day, you wind up in great spots, whether it's your personal finances, whether it's your health, or whether it's your business.
0: You know, and I think I love that, and you know, and I think that one of the big things is like I said, I'm a big sports geek, um, and I always loved Tim Duncan, um, of the Spurs. Yep, and they called him the big fundamental, yep, because he focused on the fundamentals, he wasn't worried about making ESPN Sports Center, you know, he was just worried about doing the small things perfectly. And now, you know, he's going to the Hall of Fame. So please talk to us a little bit about the fundamentals.
1: The fundamentals are the key because that's what you really go back to, um, you know, in pressure situations. Um, I'm friends with Brandy Chastain, who is a legendary soccer player. And, you know, I've talked to her many times about, the very famous goal that she scored against China to win the world cup. Um, You know, and you, you cannot think of a more pressure packed situation. So she's in the Rose bowl. There's nine, there's 90,000 people there and they're trying to win the first world cup for the U S women. And, you know, she's got the last shot. She makes it, they win. Um, And she said, you know, It was just she went back to her fundamentals and she just honed in on what she needed to do uh at that time to score that goal and i think you know when you have great fundamentals when the pressure's on um whether it's a whether it's you know uh, a combat situation in the military whether it's a pressure pack situation in sports or whether it's, you know, those critical moments that we all have in business, where the decision we make is going to have a great impact on the future. Uh, If you've got great fundamentals, you're probably going to be in good shape.
0: You know, and one thing I love about you is that you talk about all the time. And and like I said, the last couple of weeks has been nothing but about you. I've been listening to that every interview. Anything I could find on you, uh, I I did. I did all my background research. But you talk about... um, uh, attention to details, impeccable attention to details. Now, like I said, you know, I love Peyton Manning, and even his coaches would say he was the most prepared person in the stadium. You know, not just the quarterback, not just the player, but the owners, the managers. He had, he was the most prepared out of everybody, and he paid attention to detail. So please talk about that because a lot of times, we get wrapped up in the big picture but we forget about the little sm- the small minute details that are actually going to prepare <laughs> forward.
1: i'm an attention to detail maniac uh because i think it it makes such a profound difference because they they stack on top of each other so you know it, that little detail it seems like ah who cares but they really stack on each other and they, and it makes a big difference. I mean, I remember when I was young, um, I, one of my coaches, little league coaches was a former professional, uh, player. And he was talking to us, you know, we're like little kids. And he was talking to us about the importance of how to put your uniform on right. Um, and how to wear your stirrups and, you know, how to do all these little things. And, I remember, you know, going out on the field and feeling like I was going to perform at a high level because of the way that I prepared, um, you know, in something as, as minor as, as your uniform, which probably a lot of little leaguers are not putting a lot of thought into, um, you know. And, and I think in business, it's those little details that say an awful lot uh, to, to your clients. So, you know, uh, we have, this is just a, something that popped into my head, our business cards. So for, uh, something new, our business cards are like a dollar 50 a piece. Uh, when you could go to Vistaprint you could probably get a business card for five cents. Um, the impact of somebody holding that in their hand is very different. For the Talent Champions Council, they're actually made of of metal. um, And the impact of somebody getting that, people talk about it. Uh, So that little attention to detail makes a big, big difference. And when you start doing that in every aspect of your business or every aspect of your life, and you try to say, how can I do this at the highest level possible? How do I make this experience the best experience I can for a prospect, a client, an employee? Um, It changes everything. Um, So I think attention to detail is huge. Uh, And I love,
0: you know, like when, when uh, Deion Sanders
1: went to went to the
0: 49ers and he said he would be in the locker room with Jerry Rice and everything had to be perfect. His uniform had to be perfect. And he learned that, you know, Jerry used to say, if you feel good, you look good, you play good. It's all attention to detail. And he never had his shirt untucked. It it drove people crazy because he was such an impeccable person for details. So that right. you're talking about, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's stories about Wade Boggs back in the day, you know, he ate chicken before every game and Uh, A buddy of mine, uh, Dana Cavalia, Dana was the director of performance for the Yankees for 12 years. And, you know, so he's worked with Jeter and Rivera and Clemens and Pettit and all those guys. And he, you know, he's talked to me about this a bunch of times. Um, You know, Mariano would want a green uh, granola bar, Nature Valley granola bar, and he wanted at a certain time, and he would flip out if Dana didn't have a granola bar ready for him at a certain time. Um, and those little details, uh, for people that are performing at an optimal level are really important. Um, and you know, so Dana talks about that quite a bit. Um, you know, he's got a great book habits of a champion that I'd recommend to anybody, but, uh, you know, it's, it's attention to detail and it's those routines and rituals uh, that oftentimes make the difference between success and failure.
0: You know, and that's something I now I, now I want to talk about, because in the last six months, I've been getting very much into learning about uh, rituals and, 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 you know, because I, I find that, you know, before, before you go to bed at night and when you, your morning ritual and your nighttime ritual will make your whole day. Whether, you know, if you don't plan your day out, then your day is not going to go the way that you want to. So talk to us about rituals, nighttime and daytime for success that
1: you use. Yeah, so I'm a a fairly early riser. I'm not like a crazy, I'm not like a Jacko Willink uh, early riser, but I get up at five o'clock every day. Um, you know, I do some sort of physical exercise. um, And then I bang out as much of the tedious stuff uh, that I don't love to do, um, you know, before most people are are at work. So, you know, that's an important morning routine for me that I'm very, very consistent about. uh, And I do that uh, all the time religiously. So I never, uh, you know, I'm never sleeping in. I'm always up at, at five, uh, and, and getting those things done that, uh, are really things that I know I'll wind up putting off if I don't. So that's, that's really important. And then, you know, I make sure that the priorities that I have every day, I have to get those done. And those are non-negotiable, Um, you know, and I mentioned Jesse Itzler before, so, you know, I've learned just so much from him, um, you know, and one of the things that, uh, he and I have talked about a lot is never negotiate your goals. Um, so I don't negotiate my goals. So my priorities for the day, I've got to get those done and it's not negotiable. So it doesn't matter (laughs) if I have to work until nine, 10 o'clock at night to get them done, um, you know, which probably means that I I made some mistakes during the day, um, in terms of prioritizing other things, I just, I get that stuff done, it doesn't matter how long it takes. uh, Because uh, if you don't do that, those things just uh, tend to snowball on you and you wind up with tons and tons of priorities that that really don't get done. But it's also recognizing what are your priorities. You know, if you've got twenty different priorities, you probably don't have any. Um, you know, so you've got to have two or three big rocks uh, that you've got to get done that day. Um and then, uh, you know, those are just non negotiable.
0: Isn't that what Bill Parse says sell says, if you got three quarterbacks, you got none.
1: <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah, very true. Very Still- true.
0: So now um, in the military, you know, we're taught, you know, you train until the mission is complete. Yep. And in and, um, and the civilian world, a lot of veterans have problems when they get out because, you know, we know, all right, we, we know we got a project to do. We're going to run till it's complete. Where uh, You know, in the civilian sector, it's like, all right, you know, you get into work, you sit by the water cooler for a half hour. Then you check your emails and then four o'clock, it's time to go home and the mission's not complete. And the military, people are sitting around going, wait a minute, where are you guys going? We're not done yet. So, you know, so talk to us about, you know, because you you're very closely tied to the military, especially with family. So talk to us about how their mindset can help propel them into the civilian sector.
1: You know, I I love people um, with a competitive athletic background. I love people with a military background because of those things. Uh, you know, getting the mission done, and it doesn't matter what you you have to do to, to do that. You you've got to get it done, and and I find that those mindsets are not prevalent uh, all the time in corporate America. So. You know, one of the things that we do in our, the membership community, the talent champions council is we bring in uh, people to do master classes, and we pull from three different areas. We pull from the military, we pull from professional sports and we pull from kind of corporate icons because they're all saying the same thing. And in many times, in many, many cases, I believe the military and pro sports, they do talent and they have a better talent strategy than corporate America, way better. Um, And, you know, so I think those attributes that make their talent strategy great definitely play over uh, into the way that corporations need to think about talent. So we teach our members those principles uh, so the first masterclass we ever did when we launched the Talent Champions Council in January is we had Dick Vermeil come on and do a masterclass on team building and culture. And then the second masterclass we had, we had a Navy SEAL, Mike Sorelli, uh, come on and talk about uh, you know, how to effectively manage a talent strategy for a corporation. So it was fascinating to hear you know, from a Super Bowl winning coach and then a Navy SEAL uh, how to do talent strategy. And I know that the CEOs that were in those master classes just took pages and pages and pages of notes um, because all of those things are so transferable into uh, the business world.
0: Okay. Now I have a personal question to ask you, you know, because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, CEOs have a a pretty high rate of suicide. You know, Mm -hmm. um, they get to the the top of the mountain, they got the boats, they got the cars, they got the houses. And then a lot of times, because it's been their only focus, they go home to an empty house, eat dinner by themselves and get into a really depressive state. So talk to us about how, you know, because I always tell people you cannot pour from an empty cup. So how do you fill your cup to let, so you don't not ever get to that space?
1: So business is not uh, the most important thing in my life. Uh, So it's, it's, it's just not uh, the be all and end all. And, and I, while I love it, and I put a tremendous amount of time and effort into it, it's, it's not my number one priority. My family is, um and i also my identity is not completely wrapped up uh, in into what i do today and it was interesting because that's actually one of the questions that i asked johnny kim uh, a couple nights ago is i said you know man you've been a navy seal you went to harvard and you're you know a medical doctor and now you're an astronaut at nasa i said what's the future look like and i talked about The fact that a lot of friends of mine that have retired from the NFL or have left special operations or left the military, they really have a very hard time, you know, in that transition phase. And he said, you know, he's not wrapped up. He's not defined. He was not defined by being a Navy SEAL. He was not defined as being a medical doctor, you know, with a degree from Harvard and he's not wrapped up now in being an astronaut uh, with NASA so it's not how he sees himself. It's not his his identity is not completely wrapped up in that. Um, and I think that's the key. If it is, um, those are the people that struggle, and those are the people that you see, you know, typically in sports. They make comebacks when comebacks are probably not in their best interest um, because they're they're missing uh those things uh because they've got they they haven't figured out a way to fill that void
0: um you know and i love that you know because like well, i was talking to a gentleman earlier and we're like you know we always remember you know the michael jordan with the number 23 in chicago yeah. no one ever remembers number 45 in the washington Wizards.
1: <laughs> very yeah. true or the birmingham barons uh i think where he first wore 45 as a baseball player yeah very true. Very now, true. You know,
0: in the military, you know, I was in 23 years and um, I got hurt and uh, they medically retired me. And I, I built my whole life into being, you know, Sergeant Kaufman, the super soldier. And when it abruptly came to an end, I didn't know who Richard was. Yep. And when, you know, I got into that deep, dark depression and, and all that stuff. So talk to us how a person can, you know, because I'm sure you've, you know, you've talked to plenty of military people and, you know, they get to that point where, you know, they're, you're no longer in the military. And like one of my friends says, my friend, Sergeant Nick says, you know, once you step off base, the military does not give a shit about you. Yep. And the phone stops ringing. You no longer have a mission or a career. And now you have to reinvent yourself. So talk to us about having to reinvent yourself and how to do it.
1: Yeah, I think you've got to figure out what lights your fire. And, you know, there are probably similar things that lit your fire in the military that there are other ways to do that. Um, And those could be hobbies. It could be a business. um, But I think it could be giving back, uh, you know, in other ways. Um, But, you know, I think I, I see people struggle um, and this is something that I used to think, I thought I, I used to think, man, I'm working my ass off. I can't wait to retire. Uh, the closer I get to that, you know, age where it seems like not, you know, too, too far off in, in the distance. I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to retire. I'm always going to do something um, because I, I, Uh, You know, I'm not a guy who could just like play golf every day. I wouldn't that would not be satisfying to me. Um, I want to make an impact how I make that impact. uh, Right now, it's it's through, you know, the companies that I run. It's through the charitable organizations that I'm involved in. uh, It's through the books that I write, uh, you know, and I'm sure that will change as time goes on and it might just be charitable work, but it will be something. Um, so I think just always having something that you're passionate about is part of the key, um, to, to, you know, the, that life after, uh, you know, the, whether it's, you know, the, the lights uh, that you're playing under, uh, in a stadium or, or whether it's, you know, the deployments um, and the brotherhood that you have, you've got to find other things that are going to fill that gap.
0: So now, uh, obviously, you know, your sons, you know, your children mean the world to you. And family is everything for me. Everything is God first family. Everything else comes after that. So talk to us about why you started writing your books, how it all came about. And did you have to talk to a lot of different people to start getting some of the the details correct. There's a lot of people though, you know, I, I've read a lot of books and they'll put in details and you're like, that's not the way it is. They got it wrong. Like, I'll watch a military movie. and I'll be like, wait a minute. He's got his dust cover open. It's not, it's not even, you can't even shoot that. Weapon. So did you have to do a lot of background
1: information when you write a book? I cheated. uh So yeah, I'll tell you the story of my book. So when I started, Uh, my business, something new, giving back was probably the most important piece for me. So I said, I'm going to build an organization where giving back is the core component. It's kind of our why. So we, we started from day one, uh, a piece of our business called something good. And, you know, that incorporated a, a lot of different ways to give back. One of the things that I wanted to do is, you know, I, I was passionate about a a number of different nonprofits, but as a bootstrap company, I really didn't have the financial resources to just write gigantic checks to those organizations. So I thought, what are my assets? My assets were I have a gigantic network of real relationships uh, with extraordinary people, whether they're you know, prominent CEOs or best selling authors or Olympians or military leaders or pro sports folks. So I said, okay, that's an asset that I have. How can I leverage that asset to help other people? And the thought came to me to ask those folks ask the T. Barbers, the Dick for Beals, the folks like that ask them to write a chapter of gratitude for a life lesson learned, and then put it in a book, uh, and then, uh, give all the proceeds from those books to charity. So I did that, uh, with a book called standing O, uh, and it worked really well. So I asked 52 buddies of mine, um, to write chapters of gratitude for a life lesson learned. They did. That's why I'm saying I cheated because I, they really wrote the book. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I compiled uh, these amazing stories that they told that worked really well. Uh, so I'm not a genius. So I figured uh, if it worked once, I've got another 50 friends. So I asked another. Uh, so we wound up with 53 in a second book called Standing O Encore. Uh, and again, that worked really well. And I said, why don't I do another one? But let's just focus on the military. So I asked, uh, again, a bunch of friends of mine, um, a lot in special forces, but a lot that had transitioned uh, from the military to successful business careers, uh, to write chapters. And that was Standing O Salute. Uh, And then this November, uh, we'll put out our fourth book called Standing O Tribute. Uh, Again, you know, 52 people that will write chapters about gratitude for a life lesson learned. And then, you know, all the all the proceeds uh, go to charity. So for Standing O Salute, it was the Special Operations Warrior Foundation, uh, which Clay Huttmacher and Sean Corrigan just do an absolutely amazing job. Uh, And Standing O Tribute, uh, all the proceeds are going to go to Blankets of Hope. Uh, and I'm on their board. So I'm I'm really passionate about what they do for the homeless.
0: And, you know, a lot of people, you know, like they say, and I believe in it, you know, your net worth is your network. And a lot of people don't realize that, that they have so many people in their network, but they don't, like you said, they don't leverage their network. I mean, and, and I'm not talking about using people. I'm talking about building relationships. You know, I'm a big relationship guy. I'm the kind of guy, you know, now people know that once I have you on my show is when today is when the relationship just starts, Mm -hmm. you know. So talk to us about building, you know, because when and I loved your article, by the way, Um, I read it twice just this morning before we got on about um, relational selling. And also about, talk to us about building real relationships and not just that, you know, because a lot of times you'll see somebody on LinkedIn, they'll send you a connection request, 30 seconds later, and you get a five page, uh, <laughs> you know, five page. Uh, yeah.
1: Buy, buy my stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're like, wait a minute, how about ask me out for lunch before you ask me to marry me?
1: Yeah. The, the uh, way, you know, the way that people treat business relationships, you would never, You would never do that in a, in, in other relationship scenarios yet for some strange reason, people think this is going to work from a business perspective. It's just really, really dumb. Um, I'm a massive relationship guy. Any success that I've had in life is absolutely predicated on relationships. Um, I love surrounding myself with smart, interesting people. Um, Oftentimes those people have sports backgrounds or military backgrounds. Um, I think anybody who does anything at a high level, I'm fascinated by that. And I want to get to know them and I want to figure out how can I be a resource to them. Um, I don't care at all about... How many connections I have on LinkedIn or any other platform? I care about how many real relationships do I have? Are you in my phone? Can I call you? Can I text you? Can I ask you a question and know that you're not going to be like, "Oh my God," you know? It's uh, it's this McGregor guy, um, and the only way that that happens is you've got to have a servant's mentality and you've got to think of other people first. So I love trying to figure out how can I help people? Uh, Is it by making a strategic introduction? Is it by giving them some really good publicity for something amazing that they've accomplished or done? Um, I love doing that stuff and that's what builds great relationships um but you know, you know i think a
0: lot of people you know in this day and age um they get jaded you know they think oh everybody wants something so like i'll like say two months down the road you know i'll send you a message hey brother how you doing today and and i mean it You know, it's not like i'm not asking for any i don't want anything but a lot of people will be like yeah what do you want i'm like nothing i'm just checking on you to see how you're doing and some people and and i i find that some people you don't know how you can affect a person's day by just saying sending a message hey bro hope you're doing okay just want to let you know you're loved and appreciated yeah you know what i mean
1: so i i think you know a lot of people um you know they just they don't approach things the right way so it does make people jaded So I think people are initially uh, a little bit leery of like, okay, when's the shoe going to drop? Like, when are they going to ask me for the big favor? Um, And I just find that when that doesn't come and when, you know, you're trying to figure out how to help somebody else, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk wrote a a great book, uh, Jab, 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 Left Hook. My favorite Uh, of all time. Yeah. It's a phenomenal book. And it's so true. It's, you know, give, 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 um, you know, and then maybe you, you, you know, earn the opportunity uh, to ask for something, but not before that. And certainly, you know, I have the same experience as you. Uh, I'll accept somebody's connection request on LinkedIn and then I get six paragraphs of you know why I should buy their product or their service, um, and it just is is a massive turnoff. So I'm not surprised that people are jaded. But I think when you're genuine, when you don't do that, you know I always write personal uh, connection requests. So I, you know, I, I don't just send a generic connection request. And when people accept, I pretty much reiterate what I say when I'm sending them one if I can ever be a resource to you in any way just let me know so there's no sales pitch there Um, and then I just try to pour into them and I try to figure out how can I help this person how can I help them reach their goals but it's as simple as just trying to figure out what's important to this person what can I do uh, to help them Uh, And not worry about too many people worry about how can I monetize this relationship or how is this going to benefit me? Um, And all I know is that I've wound up in pretty decent spots throughout my life. And when I wind up in that spot and I say to myself, how the hell did I get here? I look back and it's, it's never a straight line. It's a circuitous path that got me there. And it's, Oh, you know what? I did a podcast with Richard and then Richard and I became friends. And then I met this person and then I met that person. And, you know, it's always this, this crazy path. But I think when you meet, wonderful genuine interesting smart people like yourself um just enjoy that and build that relationship knowing good good things will happen um you don't have to worry about how is this you know how am i gonna monetize my relationship with richard kaufman i could i couldn't care less uh it doesn't matter to me at all
0: you know, and and I love that. You know, and, and like I made friends with a gentleman. His name is John McCaskill, and he's a retired Navy SEAL. Con- I know John very well. John was in uh, my book, Standing O Salute, and Will Schneider, which is his partner on my. And he they've got the mindfulness podcast. Yep. But it's amazing how you know just becoming friends with them and building that relationship to now, you know, I'm interviewing you know doctors and you know. Um, psychologist and here i am i'm only in, i'm a ninth grade dropout and here i'm i'm interviewing eight nine figure earners and it's amazing how like they say sometimes if you're the smartest person in your room in the room you better find a bigger room yeah you're in the wrong room so talk to us about how you can you know if you stay in the same place you're never going get to get anywhere and i realized that you know because i got thrown out of the military the first time for being a drug addict and then when I got back in, I started to find out what the winners did. You know, I would get there two hours early, stay two yep. hours late, take every course I can take, you know, whatever, whatever they needed me to do. I was the utility. I I was the Dennis Rodman of the military where you give me, the, <laughs> you know, you give me the dirty work. You want me to rebound, whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do. So talk to us about sometimes having to humble yourself and tr- and move into circles that you might not be comfortable yet, you know, like they say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. So talk yeah. to us about moving into um,
1: better circles. You know, I, I always try to surround myself with people that are way, way, way more accomplished than I am. Um, you know, and the way that you build those relationships is you just try to figure out how you can help them. Uh, everybody, it doesn't matter who they are. They could be a billionaire. There's ways that you can help them. Um, and, you know, I don't have aspirations. Like I, I really don't care about, uh, wouldn't want to become a billionaire because I think the, the things that you'd have to do to get there are, are, are not things that are palatable to me. But uh, I think just surrounding yourself with those people, uh, it raises your game. And you can't be intimidated by that. Uh, You know, uh, when I was a kid, I always wanted to play up. uh, So I would try to play up uh, an age division in sports. um, And I knew I probably maybe wasn't going to be the best player on the team. But when it came time to then go back and play kind of in your age group uh, by playing with better people, uh, man, what a difference it makes. So, you know, from a business perspective, I just try to surround myself with the smartest people out there, the most interesting people, most accomplished people I possibly can. Um, And I'm not on their level, but they certainly uh, help me uh, become better in every aspect. And I don't think it's not a competition. Um, You know, I just want to learn. And I think there's so many amazing people out there that have accomplished great things. And they're more than happy uh, to, you know, help out. And when they see that you're genuine, and they see that you're coming from the right place, uh, they're more than happy to help. So I just think you can't be intimidated. uh, And you can't be afraid to be, you know, the dumbest guy in the room.
0: I love this. This has been like a master class and success, um, brother. I'm so grateful that you decided to hang out with me. And, and when you do talk to your boys, tell them, I said, you know, thank you because for will of another, another it, it means a lot. So my last two questions is um, how do we find you? How can we find your books and how can we support whatever you're doing?
1: I appreciate it. So the best way to find me is definitely LinkedIn. Uh, so send me a personalized connection request. Uh, you know, in, in this case, if, if you heard uh, me talking to, to Richard, let me know. Uh, let me know what you thought, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm always curious to get feedback, um, but I'm happy to connect with people. LinkedIn is the best place to, uh, to find me. Um, you can get any of the Standing o series on Amazon. 100% of the, of, uh, the proceeds go to charity. Um, so we really appreciate your support. I think you find the, the books, you know, absolutely fascinating. Um, there's amazing people in them, and then, you know, for something new, uh, it's uh, try something new now.com. and for the Talent Champions Council, uh, which is the best investment I think anybody could make, it's talentchampionscouncil.com, and it's literally two hundred and forty dollars a year. Uh, and you will Sitting on 30 some odd master classes in a year with the Brandy Chastains of the world, the Dick Vermeels of the world, um, just the most amazing people, and they're live and interactive. So you get to ask your questions directly to them and learn from them. Uh, we've got 400 members in 26 countries, uh, and we're having a ton of fun um, delivering just really, really unique. Uh, valuable content, uh, on a very, very consistent basis to our membership. Uh, and it's a great place to network and learn.
0: And, you know, I love that. Like, you know, I started listening to a, uh, an interview that, um, Napoleon Hill did with Dale, with, uh, Mr. Carnegie, mm-hmm. it was like a seven hour book, but even in the 1900s and 1920s, they were talking about masterminds. so a lot of people don't realize this has been going on since the twenties or early 1900s. People need to be involved in masterminds because you know, like they say in the military, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yep. So I'm definitely going to check out your mastermind. Now, last question that I have, um, I, I, I love the question because I get, I ask a thousand people and I get a thousand different answers. You know we live in a crazy world still, you know, we're still in COVID. You know, we still, ha- we, like in New Jersey, we've had a lot of parents lose their jobs. So they're driving Uber, DoorDash just to, you know, put food in their kids' mouths. We got grandkids, you know, I mean, grandparents uh, watching the kids for school and all that good stuff. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening right now to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours to help change their life, they're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody out there is struggling with their business, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship?
1: You know, I think you have to figure out how to serve other people. Um and that sounds a little counterintuitive because it's like my ship is, you know, filling up with water and it's about to sink. And you know, but I know that helping other people is going to allow those people to help you. Um so build those relationships. Uh do it every day. Be consistent. Um and you know time goes by very quickly. Uh, and all of the struggles that we're going through, these are just moments in time. So, you know, from a business perspective, you know, we've all been through the tech bubble bursting and we've been through 9-11 and we've been through Y2K and Anthrax and, you know, COVID. Uh, these are all just moments in time um, and just know that they they're not going to last. So when you do the right things consistently, Uh, I don't think there's a lot of easy fixes, but I do think great relationships can be built very quickly. uh, And those are the things I think that that can literally change your life.
0: Uh, I'm so grateful that we had a chance to talk. And um, now you've been on, I consider you a friend and a family member. And like I said, the relationship starts today. So please, when you do get a chance to talk to your kid, just tell them uh, thank you so much from one veteran to another. hundred
1: percent. I will. Uh, it was an absolute honor to be on. Uh, I appreciate you. And if I can be a resource to you in any way, shape or form, uh, I'm excited, uh, as we get to know each other better and figure out, you know, what I can do to help support you. But I think, uh, what you're doing here with the podcast is, is remarkable uh, and consider me a resource uh, for anything that you need.
0: Thank you, brother. Your friendship is enough. All right, brother. Well, have an amazing week. And, you know, like I say, in vertical momentum, the only way to go is up. And so I appreciate you and love you. And I'm so honored
1: to call you friend. You got it. Meet me as well. Thanks, Richard. I brother. Bye. Take care.
0: Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out it's called vertical momentum coffee it's ass kicking coffee on and, and it will it will get you moving in the morning so guys if you're interested go to www.richardkaufman.net check us out leave us a note tell us what you'd like and we'll actually send it to you the new website is being built so if you guys want to Our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.